0: Welcome to the Miller Odcast, a brand new podcast from the Missouri Review. For over 40 years now, TMR has been discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Our quarterly magazine appears in print, digital, and audio formats. Learn more at missourireview.com. Hello and welcome to Miller Odcast, the Missouri Review podcast where we listen to and discuss the finalists for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize. I'm Mark McKee, Managing Editor, and the forecast on the internet calls for a mountain of stuffed animals and triple rainbows. Additionally, The Oddcast is here for episode 39, featuring the latest finalists for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize in prose, The Common Memory Project, from Carolina Hochendani, and a bevy of collaborators and participants. Carolina Hochendani is a poet and Goodrich Assistant Professor of English at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Her poetry has appeared in Agni, Beloit Poetry Journal, Cincinnati Review, The Missouri Review, Prairie Schooner, West Branch, and other journals. She received the Rona Jaffe Scholarship to attend the Breadloaf Writers Conference in 2021 and was a Pushcart nominee in 2017. She lives in Omaha, Nebraska with her husband and daughter. The Common Memory Project was collectively created by students from a course Hoshindani taught at the University of Nebraska Omaha in the spring of 2021, Trauma in Our Society. In class, we discussed how the pandemic is a globally traumatic event, yet, ironically, we have experienced this trauma in our small, physically distant bubbles. When we come away from this experience, it is likely that our memories of the pandemic will be as disparate as the cultures of our individual households. How will we emerge from this experience more unified if we have been divided throughout this time? In response to this question, my class contributed to a podcast by interviewing people whose experiences of COVID-19 have contrasted their own. I wove their recordings together, wrote and recorded voiceover narration, and then my husband, the manager of Siouxland Public Media, produced and honed the podcast. The result is an artifact that begins the daunting project of forging a common memory of this harrowing experience. Here are some of the contributors. Contributors. Carolina Hajinani, Goodrich Assistant Professor of English, who instructed the Medical Humanities English course Trauma in Our Society at the University of Nebraska at Omaha in the spring of 2021. Mark Munger, General Manager of Siouxland Public Media in Sioux City, Iowa. The Students of Trauma in Our Society, a Medical Humanities English course at the University of Nebraska Omaha. Christina Beck, Elena Cornette, Hannah Dubas, Andrew Jantz, Kat Jensen, Nella Moore King, Leah Little, Aya Nuara, Brianna Potter, Susan Sanchez-Medina, Etta Sherman, and Elena Wallach. Stick around after the piece to hear me and contest editor Bailey Boyd talk about how vital this project is, and how moving and affecting listening to all these voices are. And now, without further ado, here's The Common Memory Project by Carolina Hachidani et al.
1: This is the Common Memory Project. I'm Carolina Hachandani. In January of 2021, I was slated to teach a medical humanities and literature course called Trauma in Our Society at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. By January of this year, we were almost one year into living through this COVID-19 pandemic. We'd grown accustomed to meeting and speaking with people as small squares on our computer screens. We were trying to make peace with unstable internet and an unstable world. We were trying to accept the new normal. I'd grown accustomed to teaching college classes from my kitchen table when in the beginning of class i'd try to lighten the mood of my students by making small attempts at humor i'd sometimes see faces smiling shoulders shuddering i had to train myself to recognize these movements as laughter i couldn't hear laughter all of my students were muted but i could see it this is one of the things i've missed the most in this year of zoom teaching the sounds of laughter Of happy students in those moments in a class when we're connecting in between or around or through our lessons. In my course on trauma though we were perfectly poised to discuss the collective trauma we are now living through. My class talked about how hard it will be to have a common memory of this experience partly because the culture and economic class of each of our socially distant bubbles has determined the kind of life we've led this year, more so than ever before. The public spaces that had been widely accessible and had enabled the gathering of people from different backgrounds, the exchanging of ideas that sprang up from all walks of life, such spaces and activities were suddenly threats to our public health. My class discussed the need for a common memory within our communities so that we can come away from this experience feeling closer to one another rather than more divided. Our differences having been reinforced by the separateness of our lives this past year. To address these divisions, we concocted a midterm project together, which we referred to as our common memory project. My students each interviewed someone they thought needed to be heard, people whose experience of the pandemic they saw as needing to be included in this time capsule we were creating. Some spoke
2: of how this year has not been without surprises. I think I've realized that there are a lot of people in this world who don't put other people first in the position I was in when the store reopened for a while. There were so many people who couldn't respect the fact that there might be others who were more vulnerable than they thought they were Mm -hmm. and felt that their right not to wear a mask was more important than the right of a cancer patient who might need to shop for her husband's funeral so she'd have clothes to wear. Or someone who um, was immune compromised themselves who was trying to shop, Mm -hmm. they felt that their rights were more important than anyone else's rights. And it just surprised me how prevalent it was. How has your life changed in the last year then? I went from being employed full time in a retail establishment to becoming first laid off and, and then actually um, losing my job because our store went bankrupt because of the, the pandemic to becoming a full-time student for the first time in a long time and figuring out ways to reinvent myself. This theme of rethinking one's
1: relation to career choices came up more than once among the voices we heard. Some felt that this pandemic made them more committed than ever to their careers.
3: So since you only recently began your work um, in in healthcare, did this pandemic make you like rethink your career choices at all. If anything, I would say the pandemic solidified my choice in the career I chose. I absolutely love being a critical care pharmacist. It did, however, um, I would say, harden me to the profession and hardened me to medicine a little bit sooner than I ever expected to. Um, we went through a stretch where we had consistently poor outcomes with a bunch of our COVID patients which really, um, after a while, it just really wears and tears on you and makes you um, kind of negative about the whole thing.
1: Others lost jobs.
4: I did have a uh, a test scheduled for that Tuesday. And your
1: employer <laughs> knew that.
4: So when I texted them back, I, I, I told them, and I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sick in bed. Uh, I don't want to come in and get everybody sick just for a lunch meeting. Uh, I have a scheduled test for Tuesday, and... Mm-hmm. You know, my family has a lot of pre-existing conditions, has, you know, immune issues already. And so I'm isolated in bed, sick. And that Monday I woke up a little bit early in the afternoon, um, still sick in bed, waiting for the next day to take my COVID test. And it was a flurry of messages, uh, voicemails and, and texts saying, hey, you didn't show up. You do not have a job we're taking this as you quitting.
1: But then he found a new career path that was much more fulfilling. In the midst of hardship, we also learned to appreciate some of the simpler things in life. A grocery store worker reminds us of the toilet paper sagas.
5: Pasta was a big problem, obviously toilet paper, obvious problem, everyone had it. So that was uh, interesting that when we did finally get toilet paper back in, it actually didn't sell. But for the most part, Just, yeah, toilet paper, that, obviously a hand sanitizer, like, everywhere. Condiments were fine. No one was like, man, I really need some ketchup for my uh, pandemic needs.
1: Despite these surreal moments that are almost funny to recall, there are other moments we may try to forget. The moments we had to be alone in our grief this year, unable to say goodbye to loved ones. Certain things would
3: happen, like when Christopher died. Mm Oh my gosh, like... Oh yeah. I feel like that was the prime example of how awful a funeral is when you're dealing with the pandemic, because I was pretty sure I had COVID, you know, but I wanted to see my cousin for the last time, and I wanted to support my family, and and I needed support, Yeah. and I felt like me not being there was like not an option well it was though because i didn't want to also like love my family so much like i don't want to put anybody at risk for dying like grandma and grandpa yeah you know and then also knowing that all these people are going anyway Mm Mhm. and it's like i'm probably not even going to be the one that would do it yeah um, being an ICU pharmacist, I respond to all code blues, which means the patient's heart has stopped or they have stopped breathing and we need to take extreme measures to revive them. Um, and this this happened pretty often during the height of the pandemic. And we had um, a patient in their middle 20s, about my age, that coded with COVID and we tried and tried and tried to save them and their parents like i said we're not allowed in the room for their safety um and had to watch it all happen on an ipad and i just kept thinking first i was guilty because how am i okay and they're not okay and why did their parents have to go through that and i kept thinking about my parents and what my parents would do if i were in that position and i'm an only child and i just know that that would absolutely break them um so that is that was incredibly hard i definitely had to leave work a little bit early and call my mom and just kind of get some things out um and I mean no matter what age they were every time we lost a COVID patient and we tried and tried and tried and nothing seemed to work it was it was discouraging and it was frustrating and it was almost you felt guilty or like a lack of effort or you felt helpless or you felt like something you were doing wasn't good enough when in reality we don't we don't know. We don't know what to do with this. And this is still a huge mystery, but it was just all very, all very discouraging.
1: More than ever, this year we relied on Internet to say goodbye to ailing grandparents in care facilities, to attend funerals, to connect with friends, to do our jobs, to apply for jobs. We heard from a public librarian about how important libraries were in providing people with Internet in this time of social distancing.
0: Um, Not only is the library I work at an exceptionally busy library, we are in an affluent suburb of Hartford, Simsbury, Connecticut. Um, But we serve a lot of customers that do not have internet at home. So we had lots of our um, customers calling us saying, when will you reopen? I have no internet access. I have no way to get to the internet home. So um, some of the things we did, we uh, turned our internet Um, access on 24-7, because if you pull up in our parking lot, you can access it from your car. So we had people um, accessing the internet from their vehicles on their phones or whatever device they were using, so that became a common sight. Um, When the weather was nice, we had people that would be sitting outside, laying, laying sitting back against the building using it,
1: The internet allowed us to teach and to learn in classrooms far different from our usual ones. We heard from students and from teachers about their classroom experiences.
5: Well I was excited because I never got a quarantine before and I kind of liked it because it was kind of a break from school and I got to do school in my bed which was nice but When I got back to school, I kind of felt a little out of the loop because people like my friends, a few of my friends were at school, so they were talking about something that like funny happened. And then I'm like, what are we talking about? I wasn't here. But some kids, they definitely forget that COVID is a thing sometimes. (laughs) and They'll just come up and give me a hug. And I'm like, "Okay, like, thanks for the hug. But (laughs) we live in a pandemic. So,
1: Though the Internet was a lifeline for many of us, it also brought us new anxieties. A teenage girl reflects on how social media affected her mental health this year.
5: Well, during COVID, I feel like there wasn't really a lot to do. So you were kind of like thinking about everything that's kind of wrong with yourself. And like, I have a friend who has like the perfect body. So like during quarantine, I felt like not super body confident.
1: When asked about what she wants most to do when the pandemic is over, she said,
5: uh, I guess hug my parents and stuff. Cause I feel like I haven't really been able to like, they haven't been able to hug me. Cause they don't want to like give me COVID or they don't want COVID from me. That's a big thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this year we also got to reflect upon our nation's history upon those moments that echoed our current realities, though with a difference.
6: What, I, I'm
4: wondering- Hey, the people next door to me when I was when I was five years old, mm-hmm. right? was 1955, and people next door got polio. Yeah. You know, I'm like, folks, why? Of course I got vaccinated, we stood in line. Yeah, <laughs> We because you remember that. Absolutely, I remember that. So I'm like, why are people not like, getting vaccinated? Yeah, so that's what I'm wondering, at
3: that time, was there this big, inflamed, you know, debate over whether to get vaccinated yeah. or not? No. Yeah. It was just we have we should do this,
4: right? It was a na- national health emergency.
1: And we also saw our nation's divisions in stark relief.
3: Yeah, back when the pandemic first started, I did have a situation with a patient with uh, some racial slurs, and at first I tried to ignore it, but just you know, hearing them behind say that behind your back it does get upsetting and i'm just trying to do my job and you know trying to be the best i can be for them and when they honestly say things like that it, it does hurt
1: in short this pandemic made us think about the connections between us the idea that we have access to vaccines
4: and the fact that we can say Six people may have gotten a blood clot because of this one, so we're going to turn off the pipeline to that one and, and explore what the implications of that, that health risk are. Um, we have all the access to this, and yet other people in our global family don't have. Um, is hugely problematic, not only because it's inequitable, Of course it's inequitable and that's a problem in and of itself, but it behooves us to take care of our global neighbors because there's no way, like we must eradicate the pandemic, not just the manifestations of it inside our borders.
2: And I think we have
4: to take a, a hard look at our economic system How we operate globally, how we, as a country, engage other countries, our diplomacy, what has come to light for me on a personal level, all the way up to a global level, is like, this is not just a health crisis. It's a spiritual crisis. It's an isolation crisis. It's an economic crisis.
1: Through hearing all of these voices and allowing them to exist in the same listening space, we can perhaps remember what it feels like to hear voices in a single gathering space. We can imagine that we'll be able to unite again, both physically and spiritually, when this crisis ends. Thank you, my dear students, for your work in bringing these voices to us. I hope to hear your laughter again in person one day.
0: Hello citizens of the internet and oddcast listeners. We're back with the Miller Oddcast, the podcast that listens to and and has conversations about the finalists for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize from the Missouri Review. I'm Mark McKee, managing editor, and I'm joined by Bailey Boyd, contest editor. You've just listened to Common Memory Project by Carolina Hachandani and I think that the first thing that we want to talk about is just how vital a project this is. Of course, it deals with the pandemic and bringing to bringing to light what's the what's the audio version of bringing to light, bringing to sound,
6: making audible,
0: making audible uh, voices that might otherwise have been lost in terms of considering and taking the measure of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I was yeah, I was struck by. And of course, we featured earlier a piece by Wendy Spitzer that does something uh, along these same lines, and they definitely are good accompaniments of each other,
4: mm-hmm.
0: uh, though their aesthetics uh, dif- differ. Right. But I think having both is, for me, it's a hopeful gesture of gathering voices in whatever way we can, uh, voices that we need to listen to and voices that help us secure this, this idea of a common memory, which feels like sometimes at this, at this stage, an elusive goal in our contemporary culture.
6: And I love that this is the goal of this project to the, the making of a common memory of a time capsule of these voices. I do think it's hopeful and helpful. And, and I just, I love that Hachindati and her students are, are doing this work because I think many many people are maybe can't do that work right now but it is hopeful and helpful and hearing those voices i think i said when we were discussing this piece earlier maybe i'm i'm just i just want to hear those different voices so much because of the last 2 years but hearing them is is from from all different perspectives and ages and you know from all of these different lives is really just was so emotional for me to be a listener to hear all of these different experiences of people I don't know um, mm-hmm. but that I do know have been through this as I have you know as we all have been.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely I think that another thing that I, I I was just so moved by is that the project comes from A conversation between Hachindani and her students where they they have a concern about whether or not there's going to be a legible kind of common memory. But instead of just kind of lamenting the loss of that or or kind of or giving into despair over the fact that it might not come to the fruition that we'd like, they they did something about it. they made these kind of informed decisions about voices that they felt needed to be heard and might otherwise be obscured. And they reached out and brought those voices into this project, which is just, it's entirely laudable.
6: Yeah. And we, we also talked a little bit about even just the craft of this piece. And one of the things for me was even just the small details of the, the differences in audio, you can kind of hear echoes in one, you hear more than one voice in another, um, you know, and just those small, those small details that, that signify that these are all voices coming from different places um, Mm. was really, was something that, that I picked up on and that I I really admired about all the different recordings as well.
0: Yes. And I think that when I was listening to it, I, I had this kind of I mean, it was all moving and emotionally affecting and informative in the most deeply kind of human way possible by, by the communication of speech. Yeah. And towards the in, in the last voice, uh, we have somebody reflecting on the differences globally between having access to vaccines and not having access to vaccines mm-hmm. and the, having the capacity to kind of like redirect, um, you know, medical procedures to kind of maximize like, uh, you know, the health benefits of both vaccines and other treatments, which led that person to reflect not just on health and, and especially localized kind of like health and healthcare. care, but global economic systems that act that the way that they're performing doesn't serve equi- equitably. And she said, of course, it's not equitable, but like this, this wasn't just a, a health crisis, mm-hmm. it was a spiritual crisis. And that was, I mean, that was just kind of profoundly affecting to me. And, you know, it's a thought that I've, that I've had, especially in talking to, to friends over the course of the stages of the pandemic, but it also occurred to me to get back to what you're saying about craft, that it's it's one thing to say, oh, we have to gather these voices together and to do that. And that work is 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 very important. But craft enters in because craft can serve to make something more powerful. Mm-hmm. And I found that the arrangement of these voices, the way that they go back and forth between some of the more some of the heavier aspects of this experience for different people to lighter moments. And then back to kind of like, I I thought that the anchor of all these voices is the idea of a spiritual crisis, especially when it begins with the, uh, the first voice reflecting on how stunning it was to, to bear witness to people not having a certain amount of respect for their fellow citizens. I just, the way, the way that the voices were arranged, I thought uh, showed a, a dedication to kind of making sure that those voices were amplified in a way that they that they got their true due.
6: I think you bring up a really important point um, about this piece and the different voices and what each different voice is highlighting here, and that none of them, none of them are um, are taking up more space or more, um, what do I want to say significance. Um, Than the others, they're all like you say, given their due, and and I I really just admire that too. There were so many things that I heard from different voices that maybe I hadn't I hadn't thought was a ripple effect of um, of this pandemic, and I really appreciated having those voices in this project as well, and that they were given the equal space in this in this audio project
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's I, I wish i had a thousand hats on to take them all off to this project nice. <laughs> and to work to the work that hajidani and her students have done and to the and to the people who lent their voices to this this experiment in this project shout out to the guy who's recognizing that there was no condiment shortage <laughs> <laughs> nobody felt the need the, the need for excessive ketchup. Um, even as they were stacking, you know, toilet paper rolls to take home
4: Yes.
0: those details. And, you know, you spoke earlier of the teenage girl who was you know, exp- having a different experience than other people because she was on social media and mm-hmm. there were body confidence issues, right. those things all to just kind of repeat again, what you were saying, what we've been saying, those people and those voices and those feelings and those experiences were given Um, they're due in ways that I think encourage and evoke humanity in the ways that we really need right now.
6: And I, I am so appreciative of that. It's really just gratitude for, for this piece and for, for those connections and, um, and the humanity, like you're saying, I'm just, I'm just really thankful for it right now. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's nothing else for us to say here. We always tell you to go back and listen again. So Go back and listen again. <laughs> and,
4: Certainly. Yeah.
0: And we'll be back with more oddcasts. So stay alert. There'll be, there's more on the way.
6: And we'll talk later. Thanks for being here.
0: And now we wave. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being here with us for Miller oddcast 39 featuring the Common Memory Project from Carolina Hochindani and her student collaborators. Odcast 40 is on its way soon, so be alert. Thanks as always to the Missouri Review contest editor, Bailey Boyd, and to Patricia Miller for her generous support for the Miller Audio Prize. Just as a reminder, TMR is open for submissions year-round, and we remain dedicated to discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Be heard. Give us the opportunity to discover you subscribe, or submit your work today. In addition, we have tons of marvelous and free creative content to read, listen to, and even watch on our website. Learn more at MissouriReview.com.